If you have your Bibles, open to Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16. And while you're turning there, let me just say next week we'll be starting a brand new series in the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be studying uh, that book uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 1 to the very end. And, uh, and that way, uh, be growing in our, uh, in our knowledge of the Bible. And, and it's a book uh, that I think applies to us very, very closely in our day and age. It's, uh, it's a book written to those that were living in a culture much like ours is today, uh, living in a time in which uh, many were uh, living as they saw fit in their own eyes. And, and many of the, uh, of the Christians of that day that took a stand suffered for Christ and uh, what do you do through suffering? How do you how do you live faithfully? How do you continue in your walk with God when there's so much suffering in your life? And that's what First Peter is all about. And so hopefully next uh, next Sunday you'll be able to to be here and uh, and kick off that series with us and and stay throughout the year as we study the book of First Peter. Today though we're going to be in Judges chapter number 16 and I I want to talk uh, this morning about being reignited. Uh, Sometimes in the summer as the summer continues to go our our fire for God, our love for God can begin to diminish a little bit. It can begin to die out and And it's so important in the middle of summer or even towards now, I guess we're closer to the end than the beginning of summer, uh, to get reignited for God once again, to, to, to make sure that our love and our fire and our passion for God is not dying out. And, uh, and so uh, Judges chapter 16 has, has much to teach us about just being on fire and being reignited if our fire has gone down, being reignited for God. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, you know that in, in Judges chapter 16, it tells of the final days of a man by the name of Samson. Samson started as a, as a man of God with much promise in his life. In fact, uh, he was given to his parents by a promise of God that, that Samson would be a man that would uh, impact the people of Israel. He would judge Israel and he would, he would lead them and guide them. In fact, he was born as a Nazarite. Now, you can read about what it means to be a Nazarite in the book of Deuteronomy, but I'll just give you the cliff notes. Basically, it was someone that was separated to God, someone that was going to live their life uh, as, a, as, as someone separated unto God with a vow upon him. All right. Now, whenever the vow was complete, then you would uh, cease from having to follow uh, what the rules for a Nazarite to live by were. But anytime you were living under that vow, you had to live as a Nazarite. And there was many things that a Nazarite could not do. It could not uh, touch anything that died. A Nazarite could not go to a funeral and, uh, and touch the body to say goodbye. Uh, a Nazarite could not have any wine. There was no, no alcohol what, whatsoever in the body of a Nazarite. He was separated, and the word holy means to be separated. And so a holy life was one that was separated to God, and there was things that he could not do. Uh, those were a few things. He, he was not able to be not just uh, touching a, a, a dead person, but even any kind of dead carcass. Uh, he, he had to live a very distinct life. He could not cut his hair. Uh, anyone that would see him would see that he had long hair and they would know uh, he is under a Nazarite vow. 
just from the way he looks, from the way he has his hair, he's set apart by God. And that was Samson. He's a man that was set apart by God to do something for God. And yet, with all that promise in his life, he began to make wrong choices. Uh, he began to use the strength that God had given him. And it was a, uh, an unbelievable strength. It was, it was a strength that uh, was uncommon. It was Superman-like strength. In fact, one day, uh, the Bible tells us in his life, he was trapped in a city. The city had walls and it had a big door uh, gate that closed the walls. And, and usually, if you've seen movies, you've seen how these gates were. They're, they were huge. They were, they were massive, thick uh, gates that would, would uh, protect a city that, that had walls around it. And Samson was trapped in there one day, and uh, they were going to uh, capture him. And uh, around midnight, he gets up from where he was staying at in the house there in the, in the city. After the doors had already been closed, he goes and rips off the doors from their doorposts, carries them 20 miles before he gets tired and just throws them on the top of a mountain. That's how strong Samson was. That was the strength that God give, had given him. And he was to use that strength to help the people of Israel, to free them from their enemies, to, to point them back to God that they might live for God. But Samson didn't fulfill those promises. He did judge Israel and God gave him this, this strength to, to, um, to defeat his enemies and to defeat Israel's enemies, but he used all that strength on himself. Whenever he did fight Israel's enemies, it's because he was mad at them. It's because he, he used it in a selfish way. And we find at the end of his life, he begins to break his vow. In fact, at one point in his life, he, he starts with eating honey from the dead carcass of a lion. Not a big thing for most people, but something that went against his vow. But God continued to give him strength even after that. And then he went and married uh, a woman that was not an Israelite, someone that didn't fear God, someone that didn't follow after God. And there was another breaking of a vow of a Nazarite. And yet God didn't take away his strength. And then he begins to live with a harlot and, and begins to live a life of just lustfulness and a life of, of, of pleasure. And still God doesn't take his strength away. Finally, he meets a woman by the name of Delilah and Delilah begins to whisper sweet nothings in his ear and the Philistines of which Delilah was part of begin to tell her, you need to tell him or ask him what the secret of his strength is. We want to defeat him. He's, he's beat us at every turn and, and we want to capture him, get him to tell you what the secret is. And every time for many days, he tells her different things, but not his secret. He lies to her about what the secret of his strength is until finally one day he tells her, if I cut my hair, I'll no longer have the strength. And so while he's sleeping, she cuts his hair and the Philistines come and they capture him. And they take him to prison. This man that was so full of promise left sin undealt with in his life. And all those promises became problems in his life. When you get to chapter 16, he's in jail. He's being laughed at by his enemies. His eyes have been plucked out. 
from his, their eye sockets, so now he's blind. And he's doing the work of a mule. They have him threshing wheat, and that's what they used donkeys for. Now this man that was so full of strength is in prison like a donkey. And he's blind. He's being laughed at. Can I just insert here that sin might be happy, or might be, might give you happiness for a season. Living with sin in your life might, might be fun. But that fun doesn't last forever. Samson at one point had a fire of God in his life. That fire is now gone. And now he's just living as a prisoner doing the work of a donkey. Now, if the story ended there, how sad of a story that would be. What a tragic ending to a promising life. But if you get to verse number 27 of chapter 16, you'll find that Samson was able to be reignited after a ton of bad decisions. After not living out the promises of God in his life and being now in a, in a place where he's destitute and alone and laughed at and mocked, he was able to get reignited. Now let's read the story in verse number 27. He's, he's a prisoner. In fact, we'll start in verse 26. It says, And Samson said unto the lad, a, a little boy that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I may feel the pillars whereupon the house standeth, that I may lean upon them. Now what we haven't read is that they brought Samson out from his prison cell to laugh at him. So now he's, they're having a, the Philistines are having a big party in their, in their temple to their God. And, and they bring out Samson so they can just laugh at him and make fun of him. And so this little boy is leading him out. And, and finally he tells that little boy to take him to where the pillars are. Verse 27. Now the house was full of men and women. And all the lords of the Philistines were there. And there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. Verse 30, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might. The house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Then his brother and all the house of, the, of his father came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the burying place of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. The way his life ended was not at all like the way he had lived it. The way we see Samson ending his life was in great victory. As a man, <clears throat> excuse me, that was reignited for God. I don't know about you, but I, I love stories that have a big turnaround. I love to hear about people that were very inspired by something and they changed their life and turned it 180 degrees. 
Uh, Harlan David Sanders is probably um, a name that you would not know right off the top of your head. Sanders was a man that had plenty of practice with failure throughout his life. He was forced to cut his career um, of law short as a lawyer. Uh, And so he went into being a salesman for insurance and ended up being fired from that job. In 1920, he he started a, a business with a ferry boat and it was doing pretty well. And with all his profits, he decided, you know what, I'm going to invest in, uh, in this, lamp, uh, this lamp company and uh, ended up losing everything, went broke. Then he bought a, a, a restaurant and a motel and uh, he was running it rather successfully until World War II came around and he was forced to shut it down. After the war, he decided that he was going to try to get into the restaurant business. And it said that uh, of the recipe that he had, a thousand and nine franchises told him no. Thousand and nine restaurants said, no, we don't really uh, have any room for your little recipe. And, and so he decided, well, then I'll just start my own little, little restaurant. And he started, it was pretty successful until in the city, <clears throat> they, start, uh, they decided to put in a, a highway that bypassed his restaurant. His restaurant just didn't do quite as well after that. So he decided, I'm going to sell my recipe. It was doing really well. I'll try it again. I'll try to franchise it. This time, it was very successful. In fact, he ended up selling his business for what would be, in today's money market, around 15 to $20 million. You don't know Harley David Sanders, but you know... Colonel Sanders, and you've probably heard of Kentucky Fried Chicken. You hear a story like that, and it's inspiring. It, it's, it's something that, that makes you say, just don't quit. Just keep going. I mean, success is just around the corner. We, we like these turnaround stories. We don't, we don't want to hear the story ending in, he closed his hotel, and that was it. And he took his own life. Like, oh, what a sad story. What a tragic story. But when it turns around and becomes successful, we like that. That's the life of Samson, man that that seemed like it was just going to end tragically for him. Now his life has turned around. His life becomes reignited for God. How exactly does that happen? How did did Samson get reignited for God in his life? And better yet, how do you and I get reignited? When we've lost our fire and our passion for God, and we're not living right and we're making wrong choices, and the summer hasn't been as successful, as victorious in our walk with God as it has been in the past, how how do you get reignited again? You see, because the life of Samson in the book of Judges represents not only his, his life of promise for God, but He also represents the people of Israel and how they were a a chosen people, a a, a people with a promise that ended up making bad choices and God having to bring judgment upon them. But Samson's also a reflection of us. In our life, God's given us so many blessings. He's given us many promises and yet so many times we still make wrong choices. So many times we decide to live a life that doesn't honor God and now we're, we're far from him. 
being laughed at, having to live out the consequences of our choices and of our sin. And we're thinking, man, can this ever turn around? I'm sure Samson in his cell many times as he was blind thought, I wonder if God's done with me. I wonder if I'll ever have the victory that I had before. I wonder if things can just turn around. And, and at the end of his life, he found that things can turn around. He found that he could be reignited. How did he do that? Well, let me share with you how he did. If you're taking notes, no, uh, notice number one, the way he got reignited was calling upon God. Verse 28 says, and Samson called unto the Lord. The word here is the Hebrew word karai, which means to call out or to cry out for help. Calling out in the name of God and to God. Samson calls out to God for help in his great time of need. And in the time in which he's going through the consequences of his wrong choices, he realizes that the answer doesn't doesn't rely upon just being stubbornly going in that same direction. The answer lies in calling upon God. Now, now why would Samson do that? Well, Psalms 102 verse 17 says, he will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. Jeremiah 29, 14, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will Turn away your captivity and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I cause you to be carried away captive. Whoa, what, what am I saying with those verses? It says, it's this, God loves to fulfill his promises. God loves for those that are in, in, a, in a need of help. That are in a destitute place. To call upon him. He loves that. Now I want you to notice that when he called upon God, he called upon him in humility. You don't see the same man that you find in chapter 14. You don't see this proud, arrogant man full of strength and full of himself. Now you find Samson empty of himself. You find him in an attitude and in a spirit of humility. Now, if you're going to call upon God, you need to come to God in humility, in humility of spirit. Now, we are, we are made of three parts. This is how we are in the likeness of God. We are body, soul, and spirit. And if we're going to come to God, we come to him in a spirit of humility or in, a, in, a, in other words, in our spirit, we must be humble before God. Now, the spirit that we have that lives within us is what communicates with God. In fact, that is what died the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. God told them, the moment that you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in that day thou shalt die. They didn't die in body. They didn't die in soul. Their soul is a mind, will, and emotions. They still had that. They still could think, and they still had the power to make decisions. But what died was the spirit. 
The Spirit is what communicates with God. And that's why we need salvation in our life. We need our spirit to be revived, to be made alive again. And it's in our spirit that we communicate with God. And it's in that communication with God that we must come before him humbly. Now, this has the focus of knowing God. To be humble before God and to call upon him in a spirit of humility is to go before God knowing who he is. Second Chronicles chapter 12, I think it's in your notes, verse 6 and 7 says, Whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves. And they said, notice this, the Lord is righteous. They were looking at who God is, the Lord is righteous. They were humble in spirit. And then it says, and when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came unto Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. You know, when you come before God, when you call upon God in the spirit of humility, you're coming before him knowing who he is. You're saying, God, you are right. I am wrong. God, you are gracious and God, you are loving and God, you're merciful. And what I need right now is of your mercy. What I want from you is your grace. See, Samson calling upon God in humility of spirit, but also in a humility of soul. And his mind, will, and emotions, this is coming Understanding within ourselves our condition before him. It's saying, God, yes, you are righteous. And God, I am unrighteous. God, you are good and I am not good. God, you are are merciful and loving. And I haven't loved you. And I haven't followed you. And I haven't obeyed you. You see... Calling upon God and humility involves our spirit and our soul. Find that Samson called upon God in humility, but we also find him calling upon God in contriteness. He was contrite about the offense committed. He was contrite about his rebellious heart. No longer is he ignoring God like he was in chapter 15. No longer is he just playing with sin like he was in chapter 15. Now he's far from that. Now he's separated from it. I love what Isaiah 57 says. It says, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God loves it when you call upon him in humility. God loves it when you call upon him in contriteness. When when, when you can say, God, here's the offense I committed. God, I've dishonored you. I've dishonored your name. When we come with a heart that truly means that, then God can revive us. God can reignite you. 
We find that Samson first called upon God and then secondly confessed to him. I love what St. Augustine said. He said, the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. I I love that Samson, if you notice in his prayer, he says, and said, O Lord God, remember me. Remember me. Sounds much like the prayer that you'll find in the gospels of a thief on a cross. It was next to Jesus that said, remember me. What is Samson doing? He is confessing to God. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He's just simply saying, God, this is who I am. Remember me. Confessing to him means that we ought to confess our faults. In other words, name the sin. You see, when when we confess, there is a cleansing There is a a release that comes over us as a result of just confessing that sin. Now, I'm not sure if this is all of the prayer word for word that Samson made unto God. This is all that is recorded for us in scripture, but I would imagine that his prayer was a lot more detailed than what we're reading. But just in those two words, remember me, you find that he's confessing something. He's confessing his faults. I read about a, a Prussian king by the name of Frederick the Great. And he was touring, touring a, uh, a prison in Berlin. And he was going by the different cells. And every time he'd walk by a cell, some of the prisoners would fall on their knees and, and just say, hey, uh, uh, remember me and, and help me, King Frederick. I'm innocent. I, 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 uh, I didn't do what they say. And they would proclaim their innocence every time. Except one man. He saw one guy that was just there in the corner. And, and so um, he was taken back that he wasn't asking to get out and wasn't saying that he was innocent, that he didn't do anything wrong or that people were being unfair to him. And so he called him over. And he said, sir, why are you in here? And he said, for armed robbery, your majesty. Frederick said, are you guilty? He said, yes, sir, I am. And I deserve the punishment that I'm, that I'm receiving. Immediately after that, Frederick the Great summoned the, the jailer and, and ordered him. And, and he said, release this guilty wretch at once. He said, I will not have him kept in a prison where he will corrupt all the fine, innocent people that are here. You know, there's something about just confessing our guilt before God that really does release us from the jail cell of sin. You know, when we don't confess sin in our life, it will torture us. It will rob us of our joy. You don't sleep the same, you don't walk the same, you don't talk the same. Whenever we leave undealt sin in our life, it robs us of our freedom. That's why it's so important, if you're going to get reignited for God, confess your sin. Confess your faults. Confess it to God. Now, I know this can be very difficult. Sometimes it puts us 
to feeling very vulnerable. And, and let me just say, when we confess, we ought to be confessing to God, right? Not to Facebook or Instagram or whatever social platform is. And I'm not against those that want to share their story. I think they ought to. That's great. Before you start sharing your story and everything that's happening on Facebook, be sure you take time with God alone. It's, it's something that is not easy to do, I know. There's something about confessing and, and, and having others even know about it that, that can be difficult. Um, maybe you heard this, the story of these four pastors that were, they were together, they were they're having lunch together, and they were talking about this very subject of confession, and, and they thought, you know what, we, we ought to just confess amongst ourselves, you know, what, what, our, what, our, uh, what our, our tendencies are, and our, our temptations, and, and our sins, and how we can just kind of help one another to... Um, to overcome them, you know, they, were, they, they all agreed, confession is good for the soul, let's, let's do that, and so the first one began to talk, and he said, well, you know, I, I, I'm someone that, that likes to, to steal, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be lying here, I, I just, I see something, and I go into a store, and if it's something really small, I can stick it in my pocket, I, I do it, and it's just, it's just something I, I wish I didn't do it, I don't know why I do it sometimes, but I do, and, uh, the other three pastors, oh, we're going to pray for you, brother. We're going to pray for you, and you're going to overcome this. We're going to, we're going to keep you accountable. The second one said, well, um, cigars. I love cigars. I smoke cigars all the time, and, and uh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't do it. I know it's not healthy for my body, and, but, I mean, there's just something about it. I just love it. And, and, uh, and so the other three said, okay, hey, we're going to be praying for you on that. I, I think that... Uh, God's going to give you victory. The third preacher said, listen, I, I love gambling. I'm not going to lie. I like going to Vegas. I like, I like putting money on the different things. And I like the, the feeling of winning at gambling. They said, well, we're going to pray for you. I think, I think you can overcome it. And all three of them were, were very encouraging. And then they said to the last one, okay, well, what's your sin? I said, oh, I, I, I don't know that I can tell it. No, no. They said, you, you, you need to confess. We've all confessed our sin. What is, your, what is your sin? What is that thing that you battle with? The fourth preacher said, oh, okay. He said, my great sin is gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here and tell people. <laughs> you know, when you confess it, that's what we're all scared of, Right? We're all scared of somebody finding out and telling everybody else. And no, we don't want that. We don't want, we don't want to be shown in that light. But you know, if you're going to get reignited for God, you do need to confess to him. You don't need to confess to the preacher and you don't need to confess to the priest or the pope or anyone else. But you do need to confess to God. Take time to confess your faults. But can I say also confess his favor? Don't just confess what you've done wrong, but con confess who he is and what he has done for you. You see, God is so gracious to us. And we, we ought to confess how good God is with our mouth every day. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Psalms 103 says, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. 
What's the psalmist saying? What's he confessing? He's confessing how good God is. In your time to confess, confess how good God is. Notice that in his prayer, he says, remember me. My faults, you know who I am. You know, you know the bad decisions I've, I've committed, God. You know that I'm here as a result of me. But he says, I pray thee, strengthen me. What's he confessing? He's confessing, I know where my strength came from. It wasn't from hair. So if you're wanting to be really strong with Superman strength, growing out your hair is not going to cut it. Right? Promise you, you can have hair as long as you want. And you're not going to be picking up doors. What is he confessing at this point? That the strength that he had wasn't from a religious life. Wasn't really from being a Nazarite. There was other Nazarites in Israel that didn't have his strength. Wasn't from following a vow in his life. It was from God. In your time of confession, you're wanting to get reignited for God. Confess who he is. How great he is, how amazing he is, how strong he is, how patient he is, how forgiving he is. And there's so much to confess about God, that he's a God that guides us, how faithful he is. We, we sang about that, great is thy faithfulness, never leaves us nor forsakes us. It was the last time you told God, God, you're amazing because you never have left me. Other people have quit on me. You never did. If you're going to get reignited, you must call upon God. You must confess to him. Thirdly, you must claim his promise. The very end of his prayer claims the promise of defeating his enemies. How do we claim the promises of God? Well, number one, by applying his truth. Apply God's truth into your life each day. You see, the application of God's truth is more important than just simply understanding it. Applying it is obeying even when I don't understand why. Even though I don't understand what he's doing or the reasons behind it, it's simply obeying, applying that, that truth into my life. It's kind of like going to the doctor, right? Go to the doctor when you're not feeling well and the doctor says, hey, take this, and he prescribes a medicine and you go to Walgreens and you pick it up and you start taking it. Who invented that medicine? You don't know. How exactly it's going to help you with your cough or either fever or with your, the aches and pains in your body, you don't know. You just know it works. You're trusting that the doctor knows where it came from and what it's supposed to do and what side effects it may have. And, and you just go to the doctor and you say, doctor, I am hurting. Can you help me? And he says, here, here's the medicine. And you just apply it. You don't sit there and go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, let me see. Well, well I mean, how long has it been around? What, 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 let me, let me, when you're in pain, you just, you just take the medicine. You apply it into your body because you know it's going to help. 
It's going to take away the, the pain that you're feeling. That's what God's word does in your life. Claiming the promises of God is just simply obeying and applying God's word. And saying, you know, you know how I know I'm going to be happy 10 years from now? Because obedience to God leads to happiness in life. You don't have to have a new house or a new car to do that. You need a new job or a new wife or a new husband. I, I just need to apply God's truth in my life and I'll know what joy is all about. I'll know what peace is all about. I'll know what life is all about. Applying it. John chapter 13, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples of ye have love for one another. But claiming the promises isn't just applying his truth, but by giving it all we have. By being completely surrendered. Now, I don't know if Samson had to give his life that day. But he did. In verse 29, you'll find that he takes hold of the pillars and he pushes them and the whole house comes down. And in verse 30, he says, let me die with them. Give it all. You know that God's not looking for half-surrendered Christians. Half-surrendered teens, half-surrendered people. You know what half-surrendered people are? Useless. God can't use you. God can't maintain a fire or a passion in your life when you're only half surrendered. So, so you got to give it all you got. How did Samson get reignited? Giving it all he had. Claim the promise of God saying there's going to be victory at the end of this, but I got to give it all I've got. In fact, you'll find that it says that he killed more people that day than he had in his whole entire life as a judge. And one day God did more with him than he did in 20 years of just being half surrendered and living his own and doing his own thing. And you want great victory. Man, you, you want a, a passion for God. You want to see the promises of God in your life. Give him everything. Give them all you have. This morning, if you've lost your fire for God, if you feel distant and somewhat isolated, don't stay that way. Get reignited. So how, how do I get reignited? Call upon God. The spirit of humility and contriteness and confess to him your faults. Confess to him who he is. And then just claim the promises of God. Claim the promises of God and give it all that you've got. That's how you get reignited. That's how you experience victory in life. And I, I hope if you, if you haven't been as on fire this summer as maybe you hoped to be. Don't stay that way. Reignite for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word.
Thank you for the life of Samson because truly we can see ourselves so, so much in him. So many times we've made decisions that don't honor you and it's distanced us from you. We've been left in pain and destitute. But Father, you are a God that is good and loving and gracious. For where sin did abound, your grace did much more abound. And when we when we are in a time of need, we can go to your throne of grace and find the help that we need. So Father, this morning, there may be some of us that are distant and needing to be reignited by the fire of your word and the fire of your truth. And I ask, Father, if you would this morning, Put that fire in us. We finish out these last few weeks of summer with a passion for you that is greater than when the summer began. A love for you and a love for your word and a desire to apply your word like it hasn't been before. I pray that we would be reignited for you. Oh, help us to apply this truth into our lives. Help us to call and confess and claim your promises. Thank you, Father, for being the God that you are. A God that brings victory, even when we don't deserve it. Not because we're so good, but because you are. Help us to live in your power by the filling of your spirit today. I ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen.